Well, guys, it has finally happened. I mean, I don't know how long it has been. It's been a coming, but it has finally happened. Nick Saban has hung up his windbreaker jacket. He is putting on the life vest, and he is going on his jet ski at his lake house. He is selling off into the sunset, and rightfully so. Um, this is breaking news uh, to almost everybody right now. This was uh, on top of news that we saw uh, in the NFL with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, which we will get to. But nothing is going to be bigger than this story uh, probably for the next couple weeks, um, even if maybe Jim Harbaugh lands with the Chargers. This is a big story because of the legacy that Nick Saban has left on college football. Uh, of course, Alabama as well, but college football alone. But I want to welcome you guys. This is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. I am your host, Matthew Raritan. And with me today are both my co-hosts today. And we're going to start with David Street. What's up, y'all? And Ed Smith. Welcome. Ed, we are so glad that you are back today. We are hoping that you are feeling better. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, this crazy virus that transfers from computer to computer. Uh, no one is safe, but uh, we are hoping that you are feeling better. But I know you, as the college football fanatic you are, you are not going to miss this one. This is a big show that we have a lot to cover. And actually, Ed, I am going to turn this over to you first because it he put his, you know, he left his thumbprint on a lot of places. And I want you to kind of go over here to all the stops that Nick Saban has had in his career as a coach. Why, thank you, Matthew. And uh, we'll get to that conversation about who the early favorites are in college football a little bit later. Uh, <clears throat> but I just want to point out uh, real quick. Nick Saban's overall record as a head coach is 297, 71, and 1. That's an 806 winning percentage. The number of wins, 297, it would take him more than 10 years at this point to even get close to the record of 409 by Joe Paterno. In between them are Bobby Bowden, Bear Bryant, and Pop Warner. Those are some prestigious names in this sport that will never die, and neither will Nick's. Uh, in 1990, he got his first head coaching job in at Toledo, the good old Rockets. Yes. Uh, his first loss, uh, fun fact here, first loss was against Central Michigan. His last loss was against the University of Michigan. So that kind of congruency is kind of a nice little bow on it. But he really he only spent one year there because Michigan State saw an opportunity to get this guy that could turn a program around that quick at a mid-level school to come into the Big Ten. He stayed five years there. And in those five years, he he had somewhat good success. I mean, we're talking six and five, six and six, seven, five, six, six, nine and two. Well, he gets through that 99 season at Michigan State, and then he hits the SEC. And, oh, boy, do the wheels start churning. Uh, <clears throat> you know, through five years at LSU, he gets one national title and jumps over to Alabama. 
I think we all kind of remember the circumstances in which that kind of muddled its way through. He got his first uh, title at Alabama against my Longhorns. I will still die on that hill that if Colt McCoy was out, <laughs> one out, then maybe that wasn't going to be the first one, but I, I digress. Uh, but through that, from 2007 to 2023, the rest of the SEC has been basically in Saban jail. It, it, they have been so confined by what Saban's doing that they <clears throat> mimic what he does. They recruit what he does. They go after everything that he has as far as coaches and players and, you know, all this, all these moving parts. And then here we are now. We're to a point where we have Lane Kiffin. We have Kirby Smart. We're going to have Steve Sarkeesian, all running major programs in the SEC that are going to be right at that level that Alabama's at. And you know what? He's done his job. He's done a great job over that the 24 years he's been in the SEC. You know, so the <clears throat> the amount of time and the amount of success he's had, you know, as a coach, that's kudos to you, man. That is 30, 34 years of head coaching experience, and nobody was better at doing it. Yeah, and – Alabama, it's, you know, first Bear Bryant and then Nick Saban. It's like they are just gifted with these just pure, talented head coaches. And uh, as much as you want to hate it and knock it, you can't because it's respect where it is due. But, you know, 72 years of age and he was still going and he probably still could have kept going. But, He's just an incredible head coach. He left his thumbprint. He left just so much of his legacy uh, everywhere he went. And, you know, David's going to talk about this here. And you named off a few, Ed. But David is going to talk about just the coaches that he has brought on. But before I say that, I want to talk about Nick's second year as a head coach at Alabama. And David loves this one because this is when Nick Saban, undefeated, went to the SEC championship game. And who did he face, David? <laughs> he did indeed. And that the was... Only, we are the only team to ever beat Coach Nick Saban in the SEC championship. Nobody else can claim that, and nobody else can ever claim that again. You are absolutely right, and it was quite an accomplishment for Florida that year, but it it's not about Florida right uh, this episode. But uh, I did want to bring that up because I knew David would love that. But, uh, you know, that was where, where things started to click for Nick Saban was that year, and yes, he did fall short because of Florida, but we all know what happened after that. And the wheels just kept turning and turning and turning for him. But David, yes, I, this coaching tree, this, and it's a giant tree, this coaching tree here of all the coaches that Nick Saban has at, or had at one point under his wing. Well, guys, Saban is not just a great coach for his on-field results, or his recruiting, or his uh, impact on players. But he's also a great coach because of the impact that he's made on his coaches, his 
former assistants, you know, um, guys, guys like, uh, uh, Jim McElwain, um, Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, and then, and then obviously the most successful Saban assistant by far, Kirby Smart, right? Who, who, uh, of course we know beat, uh, Saban in the national, uh, championship guys, when, when you have assistance being poached away from you every single year, that's a good thing because it shows you, you know, it shows you that you were developed by the head guy, right? It shows that Saban has mentored and and nurtured these uh, assistants to eventually go on to do great things of their own. And if you don't have that, then you're kind of, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of lost as, as a program there. Right. Um, so with Saban being able to just, you know, like I said, have the kind of impact he, he's had on his coaches, especially, um, you know, it's no surprise to, uh, to see just, uh, you know, where, where things have been. And I can't believe I, I almost forgot to mention Steve Sarkeesian, who, as I said before, Kirby Smart might have might be the best former Saban assistant ever, but Steve Sarkeesian is Saban's most important assistant ever. Like maybe what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that um is that Saban has made the most impact on Sarkeesian in my opinion. And Sarkeesian has been very open about this, um, as much as he can be, you know, uh, nobody wanted Sarkeesian. He couldn't even get, get a job interview. Like that's how far down rock bottom he was, but Saban gave him a chance when, when no one else did. And if it wasn't for Saban, um, I'm not saying that Sarkeesian would be jobless or that he wouldn't have, you know, a job in, in college football, but without Saban, he would not have, a um another head coaching position and you know i know saban can i throw in a quick story absolutely if saban didn't have sarkeesian sarkeesian would not only not be coaching he could probably be dead because the reclamation project that sarkeesian was you know saban really took him under his wing and part of the coaching uh itinerary for coaches at alabama under saban is to get themselves a deep physical uh, every season before the season starts. And Sarkeesian went, and they realized that uh, Sarkeesian's heart was three times its normal size. So they had emergency surgery done. Sarkeesian still has a scar that he will have for the rest of his life on his chest, and they got that fixed. And it wouldn't have been looked at if it wasn't for Saban's program and and having his coaches do that every single year. So not only does Sarkeesian owe him his coaching career, but he owes him his life as well. That's incredible. And, you know, I know Coach Saban um, kind of has a re- reputation for being a, a, a cold, heartless bastard. But the truth is, Saban had a heart of gold. And while he may not show it with his words, he certainly, as Ed just demonstrated, will show it with his actions. So to sum it all up, Saban is the greatest coach of all time, at least in college football, not just because of the impact that he's had on the field, but the way that he's been able to impact so many people's lives outside of the football field.
So, absolutely. You know, the he has many students that have as well became the teacher. They just haven't became the master, and he'll always have that. It's just something that will always be next to his name, but he has phenomenal students that have become teachers, and you just named off many there, including the likes of Kirby Smart and Steve Sarkeesian, and the thing with Sark is he's the last assistant to beat him, and I'm sure that feels pretty good there, And but it's also a bittersweet sweet thing as well because Nick Saban has been the guy for so long, and he has such a huge legacy just being uh, that will always be there no matter what, and, and as far as the Crimson Tide, anytime they're mentioned, it will always mm-hmm. have Nick Saban, Bear Bryant, because that's just the amazing history that that program. Yeah. Has. Let me, let me, let me just add an, an, another point here. Okay. Um, I, I, I gotta say that I always thought that Saban would not step down until he won one more title, but you know, I actually really respect the way that he's, uh, going out because, I really respect that he's not trying to prolong this thing. This whole like, oh, let me just get one more title, one more title, and I'll be done. I I think that Saban um, reflected on his career and realized, hey, you know what? I've won all these games. I have won all these championships. I have nothing left to prove. Okay, and plus, I'm old, so it's time for me to step down. <laughs> yeah, it you know. Uh, with that also being said, you know, Nick Saban, I mean, he had his best coaching job probably ever this year. And me and David both predicted at the beginning of the year preseason that we thought Alabama was going to win. But my prediction was also Bama was going to win and Saban was going to retire in the sunset. I was wrong on my prediction of them winning, but Saban has retired now. Um, and this is probably it, his best coaching job. Even though they didn't win a title, uh, I don't think you could have put any other coach there on the, with this team and had the, the same results. And that's not disrespect to their players. Uh, they do have talent there. I just don't think that any other head coach could have done and had the success this year that Nick Saban did with this Crimson Tide. When you when you lead the team to a measly seventeen to three victory over USF, who yes was much improved from last year, but still the p- point being is that when you lead when you uh, lead your team to to a to a uh, close win over USF and you still guide them to 12 wins, then that's a sign that you did an amazing coaching job. Absolutely. And he'll always go down as one of the best uh, coaches that adjusts at halftime. And we saw this this year with the Tennessee game, uh, with how that first half was going for them. Uh, You would have thought that Tennessee was going to steamroll them the rest of the game. But no, they came out after halftime and Alabama just put the smack down on them. But that that's who Nick Saban is. It it is hard to out game him or, you know, out coach him because he's always one step ahead of you. He's playing chess while you're playing checkers and come halftime. You better believe he's going to come in there and make his uh, adjustments and where things need to improve. And he's always done that. But 
he's had help along the way. We talked about the coaching tree, but I want to talk about the current coaching staff he has. And uh, defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, uh, coming back to Bama. We know of his recent success that he had with Auburn. And he's coming back? I thought he retired no, as well. No, 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 no. I was saying he had came back to Alabama uh, from previously. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Gotcha. I'm just talking about Kevin Steele. Uh, being part of this coaching staff that was of this last tide season. Okay, and, gotcha. uh, he came from Miami from a year before and then before that from Auburn. And he had success within the defense, but we know the defense has always been Saban's strong suit. That's just what he loves to do. But uh, Tommy Reese at offensive coordinator, uh, first year there after coming from Notre Dame. And Notre Dame did have success with him there on the offensive side. But how was that going to transfer over to the SEC? Because SEC is a different ball game. Uh, and then, as we know, Ken Wisenhunt is being the special assistant to uh, Nick Saban, to the head coach. And Ken Wisenhunt has had a career. I mean, he's been in the NFL. Uh, he was with my Pittsburgh Steelers. Then he was with the Arizona Cardinals, brought them to the Super Bowl. Uh, that's he's, a name I've not heard in a long time. It, it, that's time. that's what's crazy is here he is with Alabama, but no one talks about him. I mean, Ken yeah. Wisenhunt has had an amazing career. I want to, I definitely want to say that. But none of these guys are going to be his successor. Who is going to be that? Who's going to replace him? And we have already seen the headlines of the number one guy, and I'm going to get to that. Mm-hmm. I am going yeah, to that. <laughs> but I want to talk about some of the other names just really quick. And of course, some of them are. He's stalling guys. He's stalling. <laughs> yeah. Out, Lane Kiffin. Um, you know, he, what he's doing in Ole Miss is great. Uh, they've, they've had amazing records the last back-to-back seasons. Um, but I think he's creating something special there. Is he going to be uh, the replacement for Saban? I don't think so. Uh, then you're going to hear, and Ed's going to love this one, Steve Sarkeesian. Of course, when uh, Saban has you know, created these amazing coaches that have gone on to have great careers, their names are always going to be talked about right there. Um, but Sarkeesian, what he's doing at Texas, I don't think uh, he's going to leave anytime soon. I have my top two, and I have a dark horse. So my dark horse in this, and we're going to talk about his name, I think, here later on. But that's Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, what he's doing uh, in Dallas, it's already warranting him a head coaching job, almost guarantee next year. And we're going to talk about that here in a bit with the NFL. But Dan Quinn could be that guy, defensive-minded guy, that Alabama may look for. Now I'm going to go to my, my top two. And this first name is a name that's been talked about for a while now. People got annoyed with it, and that's Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney has been rumored for the last several years, even when he was winning championships, that's going to be Nick Saban's replacement right there. It was almost like it was set in stone. He had a not-so-good year this year, but I don't think that really matters. I think uh, if Alabama really wanted him, uh, he'd go there. Uh, the one issue with the hurdle there is his contract extension that makes him the head coach till 2031 there at Clemson. But as we know with the Jimbo Fisher ordeal, 
you get out of any contract. I mean, you could get bought out. You, yeah, it's all about the Benjamins, okay? And uh, that could happen if Alabama wants them to be their guy. But who does Alabama really want? Well, the head coach of this school, and that's Dan Lanning. And I think that speaks volumes, honestly. He's not even a former assistant of Nick Saban. He's a former assistant of a former assistant, and that's from Kirby Smart. Dan Lanning is 37 years young. He is the up-and-coming new head coach in all of college football. Uh, He is my head coach over at Oregon, and he has been doing a phenomenal job there. And there is a lot of upside for Oregon while he's there. And he has stated many times, Oregon is where I'm going to be, but we've heard this before. Willie Taggart. (laughs) Gosh, Willie Taggart, Oregon head coach. Oregon's where I want to be. Oh, Florida State, what's up? Oh, I'm going to suck. Now now he's with the Baltimore Ravens, but, you know. Hey, like, just, to, just to correct you, Matthew, I'm pretty certain that Lanning was a graduate assistant at, at Alabama under Saban for like okay. for like a, a year. Okay. Um, yeah, very obviously, like, you know, very forgettable and certainly um, not the kind of assistant that smart or Kiffin. Yeah, or ab- Starkmore, absolutely. But. And he became, his success came with Georgia and Kirby Smart. But yeah. thank you for I, I, I get I get what you mean, but just wanted to throw it in, in there. No, I appreciate you saying that. So but uh, it's. His name is everywhere, and rightfully so. But like I said, that speaks volumes. I mean, he's uh, he hasn't really made himself as one of the the best head coaches yet in college, but could be the best head coach in college. And Alabama wants him, uh, and I could understand why with what he's doing in Oregon and just what his future holds and how young he is too. Alabama wants a guy that's going to be there for a while. I don't think they want a guy that's just going to be there for a year or two. And Alabama for many years has been the staple of college football. They That's where everyone wants to be. But we now know that there's not much loyalty anymore in college football. Shoot, even the NFL. If this could be you know, brought up, uh, sometimes that gets people's attention. Dan Lanning does... Uh, he. I look at him as kind of a different guy than that, but who knows? I mean, Alabama is that standard and it's already being talked about, but it was talked about with the whole Texas A&M thing. And he made that clear, but Alabama's different than A&M. They are by far different than them. So I'm of course, as an Oregon fan, I'm going to be on this every day because it is big. It's Alabama. Um, but does he want to stay loyal? Does he want to stay faithful to Oregon and Eugene? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But do I think he is the right guy for the Alabama job? Absolutely, I do. I'm not going to be in denial there. I think Dan Lanning would be the guy uh, for Alabama. I just hope yeah. that he chooses not to be. Yeah, let me just throw my two cents in real quick about Dabo Sweeney, and then uh, then I'll hand it over to Ed. I'm telling you, there's no way in hell that Alabama is going to take Sweeney. Maybe like back in 2018 or, or whatever, yes. But Dabo Sweeney is way past his prime, and he is vehemently anti-NIL. That's not going to fly at Alabama. So, no. Uh, zero shot of Dabo going to Alabama. Go ahead, Ed. Well, I have, an, <clears throat> I have a name that 
it's not the permanent hire. It's the guy to get to the next guy because nobody wants to be the guy to replace the man, you know? So somebody that could be that transition person and get your laugh tracks ready. Bill O'Brien. <laughs> oh man. Alabama fans are not going to want to hear <laughs> they that. They would lose their mind, but here's, here's why I say that he took over a Penn state organization that was in shambles after the whole Sandusky thing. Then he went to the, and had great success there, you know, by their standards, you know, at that point. Uh, then he went to the NFL, had success there. You know, it was short-lived, but had success. Then he went back to the Nick Saban uh, school of coaching and, you know, got acclimated with that entire organization, which Alabama's football program is an organization. Let's, Let's make no bones about it. But I think Bill O'Brien would be a good transition guy while they continue to look for the guy long-term. So that's just a name to throw out there, my two cents. That's fair. But also, uh, let's not forget, remember when Bobby Bowden uh, stepped down and then Jimbo replaced the guy and he led FSU to a title. Granted, I think think FSU probably won in, in spite of him and not because of him, but still. I mean, that could still happen because when you look at Alabama's future, you know, it it isn't a matter of rebuilding ever at Alabama. It's just a matter of reloading. When you take a look at what Alabama has coming down the pipeline already, it's the number two recruiting class coming up for this recruiting cycle and already the number three recruiting class for the cycle behind it. They're bringing in two five stars already in this cycle They've already got uh, four stars lined up uh, out of 2025. So it's not a matter of, you know, they're going to have to scrap everything and rebuild it. No, you just keep plug and play. That's the beauty of this whole Alabama thing is it is such a machine in and of itself that the parts just change. They don't necessarily make something completely different to put in its place. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. So, you know, you're just plugging in four and five star recruits and you're plucking the transfer portal for, you know, those holes that you plug in. That is Alabama's structure. That is what they do. I don't care who the head coach is. That is how they're going to do it. And you can't, you can't expect me to think otherwise when that has been the blueprint that every other coach in the country, you know, has basically latched onto knowing what it, knowing how recruiting cycles work. The one coach that is bucking that trend is Deion Sanders and he's his own thing. Yeah. That is a completely separate deal, but with how the future holds for Alabama, I don't think it's going to change much. You know, maybe there's going to be more competition at the top of the SEC, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, notice there was uh, two uh, names didn't mention there, Ohio State names, and that's Mike Vrabel, 
And that's Urban Meyer. It seems like, uh, you know, we, we watch a show and we have mad respect for them. And it's a show called Crane and Company. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out. Uh, they have an a- amazing show. And their host, Jake Crane, uh, every time there's an opening, who does he say is going to get it? Urban Meyer. And it's always funny. It's always like that name is just thrown out. <laughs> yeah. Can we be you, real here? Urban if you Meyer. Want to win, you go get the biggest winner there is. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, but can we be can we be real here? Like we all know that Urban Meyer is never going to coach again. Okay, like we can lie about it all we want, but deep down we know he's never going to coach again. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, then I will admit it. Okay, but I just don't see him going back to coaching. Yeah, and we already know Mike Vrabel. I mean, if given the chance tomorrow, he'd be Ohio State's head coach uh, if Ryan Day was mm-hmm. not there. But that kind of becomes a waiting game. And we're going to talk about Mike Vrabel at a different time. But, uh, of course, those are two names that you're probably going to see online be thrown out because Mike Vrabel just got fired. But Mike Vrabel is not going to go to Alabama. But I do like your uh, prediction, Ed, with Bill O'Brien. And I think that would be a phenomenal move to make. And I think Bill O'Brien would be t- – Totally fine with that too. Just the kind of guy he is that he would be fine with being kind of that stepping stone, that Petri dish to uh, whoever's going to be that next guy. But it's Alabama guys. I mean, they are a standard and they will continue to have this recruiting class probably for years to come. True. But let's also not forget. um, Let's also not forget that Alabama's uh, record uh, before Saban came along, wasn't exactly the prettiest. And I'm sure Alabama fans did not see that coming. Like, I'm not saying that Alabama is going to, you know, go go through a Tennessee phase or, or a Florida phase. Um, but, you know, but the path is a lot a lot more open now, now that Saban is, is stepping down. So Alabama's AD is, um, you know, right now he, he has the most important uh, job job right now, and that is, you know, finding Saban's uh, replacement. I know you can't ever replace Saban, but you know what I mean. Well, and that's what, if I'm the AD, that's what I'm telling myself is Saban is an all-time great, if not the greatest. Remember, you're not going to find another Saban, but you need to find someone that is going to continue success at mm-hmm. Alabama, just not that success that Saban had and immediately I should say but just someone that could calm the waters and you just need to remind yourself that yeah but you know speaking of calm the waters um I don't know if this move necessarily did calm the waters um Mm -hmm. because there is going to be some talks about it and that's exactly what we're going to do right now but other breaking news that happened today and it's not as big as the Saban breaking news but that is Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks uh, as a head coach parting ways, uh, you know, come into an agreement Um, there. He is still going to remain in the organization. And it sounds like as an advisor, but this, this came kind of shocking to uh, most of us. I did not really see this coming, um, but Seattle, they, they have their sights on something else or someone else. And they wanted to see things differently. But, David, um, you know, what do you see with this, with what Seattle is doing and with Pete Carroll? Well, you know, um, I think what we're all what we're all saying is that Pete Carroll stepped down, quote unquote. Really, I, I think I think we all know it was basically uh, either step down or we're going to fire you. Um, and uh 
you know, this came as a shock to me as, as well. Um, now, at first, it, if there's one reason why it wouldn't be surprising, it's because Pete Carroll is up there in age. He's like 72 years old, I think. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's up there in age. And, you know, he's won a lot of games with Seattle. He won them a uh, Super Bowl. So he has nothing left to prove. I'm sure he would like to win at least one more Super Bowl, but he has nothing left to prove. And guys, what an incredible career that Pete Carroll has had, not just with the Seahawks, but with USC as well. He is the only coach in the BCS slash college football playoff era to win a college football national championship and a Super Bowl trophy, right? Um, and when he came to, uh, Seattle, he really just completely shifted the culture of that program because, you know, the reason why coach Carroll was so successful at Seattle is because he is a player's coach, you know, um, it doesn't mean he lets players, uh, run, run the show, but he's not a dictator. He's not a, a, a totalitarian. He's not going to, you know, uh, my my way or hi- highway, um, his uh, his way through things, um, and it's because of because of that trust um, and that camarader- camaraderie that he was able to build with both his players and his coaches um, that Seattle was able to develop a, uh, a a winning culture there. Now it is interesting um, that the Seahawks are now the only team um, above five hundred. Um, to have, uh, you know, to be without its uh, now former uh, head coach. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, where, where, you know, like where Seattle goes. Um, like, are there any, uh, are there any potential uh, candidates that you see, Ed? Well, you know, Dan Quinn can't go everywhere, but hey, uh, <laughs> he's got to be at the top of almost everybody's list at this point because of turning around what was an atrocious defense at Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, they always had a great offense and an atrocious defense. Well, he kind of flipped the script on that. And that, that team has looked a whole lot better with Dan Quinn being the defensive coordinator. So True. it's time for him to get another shot at the head coaching level. Is Seattle the spot? I don't know, but it wouldn't hurt to at least have a conversation. Yeah, no, true. And I definitely do think that Dan Quinn deserves another shot as a head coach. Um, But I also think that GMs are going to be a little cautious because they're going to uh, see his head coaching tenure at Atlanta and that like, yes, he did quote unquote lead the Falcons to the Super Bowl, But we all know that was uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan who did that because the Falcons had a horrible uh, defense that year. They went to the Super Bowl in spite of their defense. Yeah, and you know, I want to just go back to Pete Carroll. We're talking about a seventy-two-year-old man, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he is the second oldest head coach in the NFL behind Bill Belichick. And yeah. we are yeah. we are looking. If you tune in on Sundays, you will see this guy out there running routes with his team. You see him running up and down the sideline. He is the most active guy out there probably more than some of the players you see him take his shirt off with dk metcalf (laughs) this you are absolutely right this is a player's coach he has that relationship with his players um and he's as youthful as they come as a 72 year old so i do want to say that 
You know, you know what he also does all, all the time. <laughs> yes, yes. Captain Bubblegum. <laughs> yes, yeah. you think he was a baseball player there on the sideline, but uh, <laughs> right. he does leave an incredible legacy. And you touched on it, David, with uh, the national championship and the Super Bowl. And Ed's going to talk about that a little bit more. But Ed, you also have some more kind of fun facts about his legacy and some of his coaching tree. Well. <clears throat> Not many people remember this, but Pete Carroll was actually the head coach of the New England Patriots before Bill Parcells made it there. Oh, I so, remember that. And he so, sucked in New England, didn't he? Not not really. It wasn't that bad. Just Bill Parcells was a bigger name. Mm-hmm. It was more guaranteed success, you know, having Bill Parcells on your sideline than it did than it was for Pete Carroll. You know, he was Still the same coach there and before he went to USC and then on to Seattle. So he actually worked under 10 head coaches before uh, before becoming a head coach. And that did include some pretty distinct company like Lou Hochelel at Arkansas, as well as Bud Grant, Jerry Burns, Bruce Coslett, George Seifert. You know, he had a lot of experience with players' coaches. And that really helped shape how he communicated with his teams. But with his teams that he had underneath him, he had some great names work for him. It's almost as if these coaches work for different mindsets so they can learn to be better coaches themselves. Because I'm going to go through a couple names we've already talked about. Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Dan Quinn. Jed Fish, Robert Sala, Greg Robinson, Ed Ogeron, go Tigers, uh, <laughs> and Bo Pelini. These are just some of the names of the 15 assistants that have become head coaches for uh, after working for uh, uh, after working for uh, Pete Carroll. So, and not only that, he's actually helped mold some executives into GM roles. I mean, yeah, that is somebody that has his hand at every level of the organization. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, but wasn't Pete Carroll also the GM? Like, he was one of the only guys to be both GM and uh, head coach of, of the team? I don't think he was. Okay. I think he worked well with the GM and, you know, put together the team as he saw fit, but it wasn't totally his call. You know, there was a lot of great back and forth because you see some organizations where the head coach needs something and the GM thinks they need something else. And there's an argument. And then next thing you know, you're the Carolina Panthers and (laughs) it just all falls apart from there. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's one of the uh, great legacies about Pete Carroll is the fact that not only did he do great at coaching himself, but he actually helped lead others uh, to being head coaches, gave them the keys, so to speak, which I can't say for Bill Belichick. You know, you look at Belichick's tree and it's a hot flaming garbage, but this is a coaching tree that has prosperity in its future. And, you know, he's got to be commended for it. And you you know something else, guys, we cannot talk about Pete Carroll without mentioning the Legion of Boom defense and Pete Carroll being a defensive guy 
obviously deserves a ton of credit um, for the way that those guys played. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest defenses of all time, and you could even make an argument that perhaps they were the greatest defense of all time because of the numbers uh, they put up in a uh, league that heavily skews uh, towards uh, offense. I mean, you know, guys like uh, Richard Sherman, um, Earl Earl Thomas, uh, uh, Brandon Browner, and then other guys who weren't part of the LLB, um, like uh, um, who's, oh, you know, uh, Bobby, Bobby Wagner. Seattle had insanely good defenses under uh, Pete Carroll, like certainly um, some of the best that I've ever seen um, in, in, in my lifetime. Um, so I just think, like I said, you, you cannot you cannot talk about Pete Carroll without mentioning those crazy Seattle defenses. Yeah, we will. I'll never forget the chain snatcher, Richard Sherman. That's what happens when you play a sorry receiver like Crabtree. Up Don't you ever talk Crabtree. about me! <laughs> I mean. Richard Sherman, man, him, Cam Chancellor, Earl Tom. I mean, they were that was that that was the Legion of Boom. I mean, Cam Chancellor, I a guy so big and how he moved was was amazing to me. But yes, Pete Carroll, uh, you know, he coached an incredible defense there, an incredible team. I mean, let's not forget they were uh one play away from winning the Super Bowl, you know, two of them, and that mm-hmm. that kind of falls on him too. But let, let's not knock on that. But uh, you know, two Super Bowls almost. For what it's for what it's worth, apparently that that season, the 2014 season, apparently Marshall Lynch, as good as he was, was actually a horrible in goal line situations. So that call wasn't as bad as people like made it seem, but obviously the optics didn't look so good. But you know, if you've watched the interview of, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the defensive back, uh, Malcolm Butler, uh, you know, he said, he said, you know, we practice this play nonstop the entire week leading up to it. So even the Patriots knew that play was going to happen. And it's crazy because of that, because of Marshawn Lynch, you know, and being on uh, the goal line like that, they just knew that play was coming. And it, it, obviously it was, he ran the route for the receiver and we know what happens after that. But the the legacy that Pete Carroll leaves is, is a great one. It really is. And it, the game's not going to be the same without him. I know he'll still be within the organization, um, but uh, seeing that guy in the sideline running up and down as if he was part of the chain gang, uh, we'll, we'll miss seeing that. But that leads to this next question. Where do the Seahawks go from here? As Ed touched on, Dan Quinn, of course, is going to be a name that gets floated around. It already has been. But the Seahawks need to decide kind of more than just that. Is Geno Smith their guy? Um, Geno Smith had an incredible year last year. This year, he still put up decent numbers, but it wasn't that comeback year that he had the year before. Uh, they did deal with some injuries, but is Geno Smith going to be their guy moving forward? You're gonna need to, you're gonna need to talk about that. You're gonna need to talk about this defense. Uh, you know, in this next draft, are you going to buff up this defense? You have Bobby Wagner who did come back, but. He's going to retire. He's up there in age, too. He's not going to be there much longer. So they have a lot to decide. And, of course, that does come with a head coach. The head coach also needs to decide, too, what is the next step. So uh, 
they they want to be methodical because when you've had a coach like Pete Carroll who has been there for a long time, you need to see who's going to be the next guy. And Pete Carroll I, will probably be a part of that hiring process. I would not be surprised if his name, if he's not in the same room with these interviews that happen. So uh, Bill O'Brien, uh, I'm sorry, Dan Quinn is going to be a name that uh, to look for. So, but the Seahawks, they, they are going to need to decide several things here, but first it's going to start with their next head coach. And they're probably already making phone calls as we speak. So uh, pay attention to where the Seahawks are going to go from here and where Alabama is going to go from here, because these are two shoes that need to be filled and you are not going to fill them with the same talent that were in before. So that's one thing to be of note. You're not going to have another Nick Saban replace Nick Saban, nor are you going to have another Pete Carroll that replaces Pete Carroll. Do we think that do we think that Seattle is going af- going to go after an offensive minded guy or a, a defensive minded guy or a special teams minded guy like 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 John Harbaugh. I'm not saying they're going to go after John Harbaugh, but like, you know, like get a special teams guy like John Harbaugh was. <laughs> I definitely think that no matter if they go with an offensive minded guy or a defensive minded guy, they need to trade up and get Michael Penix. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that. Uh, I think I think Seattle you know, was Smith, still- Yeah, he was a great story. He's not a long-term answer uh, oh, for as a sure. quarterback. I, th- I, I think the Seahawks need to, uh, like, this might sound sound extreme, and maybe I'll, I'll take this back later, but I think the Seahawks need to blow it all up. Um, I think they just, they just need to do a complete do-over. Yeah, well, you look at just their wide receivers alone, DK Metcalf, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Tyler Lockett. Those are some pretty darn good receivers right there. You just need to find a quarterback that's going to, you know, treat them well. And yes, Michael Penix would would be that guy. I mean, coming from Washington, that would be an amazing story too. So uh, I I could see that happening. Um, But yeah, I don't know if they're going to go with offensive mining. I mean, you are seeing teams like the Panthers, the Chargers, um, you know, uh, Washington as well. They, They they are looking kind of for offensive-minded guys, and I get why they would. You want Bryce Young to have uh, that offensive-minded coach that's going to help mold him. Same with the Chargers with Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. Um, but are they going to follow that trend? Like, Is Seattle going to follow that trend? Are they going to bring a defensive-minded like a Dan Quinn into there? Or um, who else am I seeing? Um, uh, Giants defensive coordinator that just got let go as well. So, oh, yeah. Link? Huh? Are you talking about Wink? Yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah, the, Wink, it, yeah, Martindale. What was that? Wink Martindale. Oh yeah. You know, I, I gotta say, guys, like I, I think I think the whole idea of like, well, if you have a um, if you have a, a future superstar quarterback, you have to hire an offensive head coach. I think that mindset is a little overrated. You don't ha- you don't necessarily have to hire an offensive-minded head coach because you can certainly um, have a defensive-minded coach hire an incredible uh, offensive mind. Well, and you've all, there's also other layers to this as well. When you look at the salary cap options that the Seahawks have going into next year, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf account for $51 million on, on the salary cap. Do you know how many offensive linemen that would give whatever quarterback they take in this draft? Because I'm just going to assume they're taking a quarterback. 
mm-hmm. after Pete Carroll being gone, you know, there's and you want to blow the whole thing up. Well, if you're going to do it, blow it up, you know, move on from all those guys. You know, Geno's got 31 against him, 27 against Tyler, 24 or five against DK Metcalf. That's going to free up so much space for you to rebuild with a rookie quarterback. That that window is going to be wide open for you for the first five years of Penix's, you know, I say Michael Penix, uh, <laughs> of his NFL career. Yeah. So I just I just saw this, by the, by the way, like this literally came to mind, and I'm really curious to know what you guys think. So we all know that Russell Wilson was practically forced out, out of Seattle. Um, Pete Carroll was more than likely forced out of uh, coaching, like – is there um is there a problem that we see with you know Seattle's management like is Seattle's management just you know becoming increasingly difficult to work for what, what do you think Ed I I just think they realize it's time to move on and stop hanging on to the glory days of 10 plus years ago Okay that's and, fair You know there's you can't it was lightning in a bottle and you can't catch lightning that many times in a row with the salary cap error. You just can't. Yeah, they made educated moves. They saw a Russell Wilson who didn't have that it factor as much anymore slowing down. They 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 so they got rid of him, but there there was some more there and I think that we know that. But uh that that happened and then uh Pete Carroll it's just at that time too. It, it was just an educated move on their part. They're they are now trying to move forward instead of holding it too long. I got you guys. Yes. But that's about all we have today though, folks. Uh, this was the breaking news that happened today. And of course we had to cover this because it, it is a big deal. It is a big deal at the college level and it is a big deal at the NFL level. So it, it was only right that we did our show based on this today. And we want to hear how you guys feel about this and your predictions, who is going to be the next Crimson Tide head coach uh, and who is going to be the next Seattle Seahawks head coach and how are they going to move forward from here? Because uh, there's a lot that needs to be done in that Seattle organization. Whereas uh, Alabama, you're never going to fill those shoes completely with Nick Saban, um, but you are going to continue to have talent pour in from the recruiting standpoint. So uh, let us know how you guys uh, feel about that in your predictions, but uh, also hit that like and subscribe button, share these videos, let people know. And guys, uh, if you don't know already, I'm going to put this out there. We like to talk sports and sports only on here. Uh, We are a sports show. We are not the news. We are not um, a political analyst or anything like that. But with that being said, uh, we do have election, uh, it's coming up and I want to give a shout out to the guys who make this possible for us. And that is American daily press. If you want to get up to date news on what's going on, maybe with, uh, the Iowa caucus coming up or anything else that doesn't necessarily is political, but you want to look up, go ahead and check out American daily press.com unbiased news where they're going to give you all the live news as possible as they can and just keep you up to date. So give them a check out and you will also see our videos on there too. So if you want to support us, also support us on there. So uh, we appreciate you guys and we're going to continue to give you all the best that we can. But until next time, guys, we are rounding third. We are headed for home.